Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Joel Clellan, a serial entrepreneur and influencer who has had a number of businesses over the years. Most notably, he had a special events entertainment business where he served as a DJ, MC, and cover band leader. Currently, Joel works as a teacher for a local public charter school and has an insurance practice. Most recently, Joel served as Centrix CEO. Joel has spoken on panels as a Web 3.0 enthusiast and continues to speak and move in this innovative space. Joel also serves as the vice chairman of the board for 501c3 nonprofit Project Boone, a community organization based in Southern California that assists underserved children, individuals, and families with food security and connections to needed services. Good morning, Joel, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning, Mary. So nice to see you and get a chance to talk with you this afternoon. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Yes, it has. Joel and I (laughs) met way back in college, so uh, we've been around for a little bit, so it's fun to reconnect. Absolutely, and I'm really glad that you initiated this. I I think I was talking a little bit with you on social media, but I really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So Joel, as we like to start on this podcast with hearing about your work history, and I love hearing about first jobs. So if you can tell us about the Mm. first job you ever had up into the present. The first job, I would say the first job I ever had was in sales. I uh, was in elementary school and I, I sold everything. I sold Christmas garlands, Christmas wreaths, candles, chocolates, anything that I could sell, I would sell. And normally there was some incentive I was leading up to either money or, you know, some type of a device or something at the time, some tech, always like tech, or some trip. One, one trip that I was uh, saving up for was a trip to Hawaii, which I ended up going to. And that was ninth grade. So in ninth grade, I had, I would say I had three jobs. So if, if, if I had a first job, ninth grade was really when I started getting serious about the work piece. I wasn't just animated by sales. I, I mowed lawns. I actually tutored a kid in my neighborhood. That was fun. Math tutoring. That was my first teaching gig. And then, of course, back to the back to the sales, back to fundraising. Interesting, yeah, because you, as, as I look through your history, you have done sales. I have, I yeah. Have. And absolutely. you know, the, what I believe, Mary, is that we're all in sales, and sales is about help, helping people. And and if if we're in a helping capacity, whether whether it's product based or services or information, we're all in sales. So what did you end up majoring in in college and what have you been doing since? Mm -hmm. I was a liberal studies major when you and I knew each other and I ended up getting a master's in education, philosophy of education. I went into into education. I actually, over the last 30 years, I've spent more time in the education sector than any other sector. I have spent time in the insurance sector about 15 years. And up until when I was replaced, I was the CEO of a crypto company. So I was in crypto for two years, actually working in crypto, but I've been interested in Web3 technology for a number of years now. Hmm. But most of my time was spent in education. I'm actually back in education now. So that's quite a quite a diversity. And when I when you look at your resume, you've done you've had a DJ company, 
Oh, did um, yeah. yeah. Education, yeah. crypto, back in education and insurance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I actually need to renew my licenses this month. <laughs> so <laughs> got to get those CEs out of the way. So is there <laughs> a make, threat? Make sure my E and O insurance is current. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> is there a thread that ties all of that together, or you just have a variety of interests? I would say it's both. I, I do have a variety of interests. You know, I'm a musician. You're a musician. We've we've always been passionate about music. You brought up the DJ business. My DJ business actually became kind of a collaboration of both DJ and live music. We did have a cover band for many years uh, in that business. I enjoy entertaining. I enjoy, you know, leading people's events. I've always enjoyed that piece. But the learning piece, I, pro- I would say, is probably bigger than anything. Even though I, I, I equate music to like gardening, like I like gardening because it, it, you know, deco- detoxes me, it relaxes me. Music does the same thing for me, but I like learning new things. And when I don't understand something, I want to know, like, why don't I understand this? Why isn't it computing for me? So I, I, I tend to be very just interested in learning. Let's, let's put it that way. And because of that, I, I, wa- I want to tackle different things. And like, even like on the insurance side, that is an insane sector. There's so much to learn. It's impossible to ever learn at all, even in a lifetime. And, and so with, with the age of blockchain, you know, crypto, you know, Web3 technologies, and now the metaverse and where AI and both VR and AR are going, there's, it's a whole new world to learn. And obviously, the news hasn't been favorable to this space in the last year or so, but it's not going away. Because there are people who are passionate about learning like I am. And there's enough people in the space that instead of calling themselves experts, we call ourselves futurists or we call ourselves enthusiasts. And really what we're enthusiastic is about the learning. And it's like, how can, how can this tech help lots of people? And that, that's what got me into this space. It wasn't just the investment piece. It was the you know, making a larger impact, I guess mm-hmm. is a good way to put it. So I taught philosophy for 23 years, and one of my interests is um, a philosophy of technology and the Mm -hmm. intersection of the good life and technology. And I do love tech, and yet I always think about, is this piece of technology helping us or hurting us, or is it a neutral, Mm -hmm. right? And so anytime you have a technology, it um, displaces, it replaces what was old, and it could be good, it could be bad, it could just Mm -hmm. be just a replacement. It is interesting. I mean, Pandora's box has been opened. Uh, Definitely. What, whatever you think about, you know, ChatGPT <laughs> or blockchain, new ways of uh, right. thinking about currency, it is the future. And in business, it's all about learning, right? Learning Absolutely. new ways sure. of um, of connecting, new ways of being in the world. So, since you're an educator, do you? How do you see yourself with technology? How do you put those things together? It's a great question. I've, like I said, I've kind of been back in education for for a few months now. And it's interesting. There's a lot that I need to learn now. It's like I'm coming back into this environment and it's just 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 the uh, the AV, if you will, the audiovisual materials that or tech that people are using. I'm like, oh, I guess I have to relearn this. And that it, it's it's good because one of the things I've noticed is that kids will want to learn and adults will want to learn regardless if you bring good information to them, helpful information, things that they believe have some kind of application for them, or it's interesting. The way we deliver it to them can come in a variety of different ways. We saw with COVID that the traditional systems kind of broke down for a little while. And now we've got our COVID kids, got a whole you know generation that's delayed 
so to speak. And if we can kind of fill in the gaps with tech, I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's easy for especially young people like kindergarten through 12th grade to kind of like just see this as fun. It's like, this is, these are the games I play. Uh, like my, my 11 year old said, Hey dad, by the way, I'm invading Mexico. I said, do they know that you're invading them? <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he's obviously playing games with his friends, but um, I, I think this, the, the fact that we can bring the world together, I mean, the world's becoming smaller. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think that's good because it helps someone like me that fancies myself to be in tech to see that, okay, there are certain technologies that can help us help people in parts of the world that we may never visit physically. And I think at the end of the day, that that's what it means for me. And if the powers that be, the regulators, central banks, governments, whoever they happen to be that are in the mix, if they can be as passionate about the learning piece as I am, then we're going in the right direction. I think, unfortunately, sometimes people that hold the purse strings aren't quite as interested in the innovation piece as they are in the control piece. And that's probably for another show. <laughs> but but I, if I was on a different show, I might go go that, that route with the conversation. But just to kind of bring it full circle, I, I think that in education, we need to meet people where they're at. And in any sector, that's really what it's about. One of the things that I thought about when I was getting ready for, for your program, Mary, is what's my philosophy about business leadership? Where, where, do I, where do I see myself as a leader in business? Where have I been as a leader in business? You know, and when am, I, when am I the best follower in business? But th- those are some of the things that I was kind of working through as I got ready for your, for your program. And what did you come up with? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I found that you know, in my, in my formative years, you know, we talked about Joel as a ninth grade, you know, entrepreneur, if you will. And then, you know, getting into education, which is, which is a large multi, multi-billion dollar, even trillion dollar sector is one of the things that I came up with. And it's not maybe related necessarily to leadership, but it's more to planning for individuals, individuals that are coming out of college, or maybe individuals that are in their twenties and they're kind of floating around. We've, we've started to see that, you know, this malaise that they're floating around in. And I'm not just talking about the COVID kids. I'm talking about older than that, but this, I think is, if we could call it evergreen content, <laughs> this is something that everybody can use. And no matter when they hear this podcast is they can, they can find out, okay, this is something that I can latch onto because not everyone is an inventor. Not everyone has a marketplace innovation. Not everyone has a business idea, but everybody has to eat (laughs) and everybody has to have a clean, dry place to sleep. And everyone has to save for their future and invest in the things that are important to them, namely themselves. And what I, what I would share with, with people that are either just coming out of high school or in their twenties and feel like they're a little bit lost is look at five sectors. Look at education. Education is not going anywhere. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But it's a multi-trillion dollar sector and there will always be something for you to do, either as a professional or as a paraprofessional. The other side is energy and utilities. <laughs> you know, the fact that you and I are talking right now is because we've paid our electric bills <laughs> and we, you know, we, we're in a situation where we're fell, fairly comfortable. You seem like you're comfortable where you're at. I am as well. Energy and utilities, another multi-trillion dollar sector. There's always something to do. The third would be logistics or shipping. 
the logistics industry, same thing. There are space for both paraprofessionals and professionals in that industry. Lots of room for growth. And the other side, I would say, is the military industrial complex or anything related to government. There's, there's always going to be something for you to do, whether you're in the U.S., where Mary and I are here in the U.S., or anywhere in the world. You know, connect with the people that are in leadership, you know, both locally and, and nationally where you are at, because there's always going to be something to do. I mean, there was a fifth one. Healthcare. Healthcare is huge. When you think about it, you might not want to work with blood, but there's a job for you in healthcare if you want to enter another multi-trillion dollar sector. So those five sectors, and for, for those of us that maybe I've, I always surrounded myself with creative people and innovators and inventors and composers, and I'm okay. I'm all right at those things, but I don't always, I don't always come up with the idea. And, and so if, if you're anything like me, or you're kind of one of those people that I mentioned where you're like, I don't know where I fit in the marketplace. I don't have this invention. I don't have an innovation. I don't even have a business idea. Spend 10 years, 10 years in one of these five sectors, figuring that out and doing the best that you can in that sector. Win in that sector, learn about yourself, develop yourself, become the best version of yourself. Because the only person we really have control over it ultimately is ourselves. Make yourself the best you can be physically, mentally, spiritually, professionally. And I, I venture to wager that if you actually are disciplined and commit to a sector for 10 years, you're going to have enough mental bandwidth to be creative and maybe come up with a business idea at the very least. But like anyway, that so that's what I came up with while I was getting ready for your program. <laughs> Well, I like that very much because uh, I think a lot of conflict is uh, we get stuck in conflict because we don't see another, we don't see a way out. We see mm -hmm. that we need to be rescued. And right. a lot of times that we feel the same thing when we feel stuck in a job or we don't know where to do. We think, well, this is what I majored in, or this is what I have a certificate in. And that there's mm -hmm. maybe nothing where I live or I don't see anything, but I like what you have brought up here. A broader perspective. There are so many different sectors out there. And within each sector, we could segment them out into thousands mm -hmm. of, you yep. know, the publishing, um, distribution of materials for all different kinds of materials for education, so on and so forth. And so trying to think about and be creative about all the different possibilities so that you can find a place wherever you're at. And I love that idea of invest in it. Go, be, do, get that experience. Mm -hmm. And as you get those experiences, you get transferable skills. That's right? absolutely right, right, Mary. Absolutely. And I, I'd even venture to say that if it is something you're certificated in or something that you studied in school, if you find yourself in one of those five sectors and you're listening to this program, take this as like words of wisdom. Oh, I'm already in education. I'm already in energy and utilities. It's kind of boring, but I'm already here. Where, where else can I move? I'm already a part of the military industrial complex or whatever, or I'm in healthcare. You know, I, I'm in logistics. I mean, I've had people come to me 18 years in logistics and they want to leave. And I say, have you gone as far as you can go? Like a couple come to mind right now that work for big Brown and for FedEx. And um, that makes me, makes me even more confident in what I'm sharing that if, if you find yourself in one of these five sectors, there's lots of money there. At the very least, you're getting paid. 
Mm-hmm. And you're, you're able to pay for your life, take care of yourself. And like, like you said, Mary, you're not going to wait for anybody to rescue you because you've rescued yourself with the information. You've rescued yourself by moving yourself to where you are now. You might not be settled. You might not even be that passionate about it, but just know that you're in a sector that's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and while you're there, you can, you can build yourself. Joel, when you think about the different jobs that you've had in different places you've been, what strikes you as the one of the best experiences you've had either with a boss or a coworker and why was it so good for you? Mm-hmm. I wrote down Bishop Aklan over here um, and I had a couple of other names, but I'm going to start with him because professionally, I would say he really opened my eyes to a lot of things. He's a Catholic priest that uh, had a background in business. He's what, what's called a late vocation. He came to the priesthood, you know, after having another career. And he approached everything like business, including the parish where I worked at. I was a, I was a, I was a music director and director of, of liturgy. I worked at it. Anyway, long story short, uh, I call him Father Alex, but Bishop Aklan, he, number one, gave me an opportunity to work in an environment that I didn't go to school for and I, and I, I didn't have prior experience with. But it's interesting because both my failures and my successes from before working with Father Alex made it a perfect fit. Did I have some losses while I was there? Yes. Did I have to hire and fire people while I was there? Yes. It's not an easy gig when you're in in a leadership capacity. But I think what what was wonderful about that was because he he really taught me not just about business, but about people Hmm. in, in a way that I... I, I guess you have to be taught it rather than learn it in a book, if that makes any sense. So what are some of the things that he modeled for you or that you you learned from him? Right. I would say um, public pub, public posture. It, it was a big one. I, I'm pretty outgoing. Uh, I call myself an ambivert rather than an extrovert, because even though most people think I'm an extrovert, I do like my quiet time. <laughs> yeah, but public posture and public... Um, verbiage, if you will, like the, the words we use in public are powerful because we never know how they're going to land. Like, you know, it's like the difference between identity and reputation. You know, we have thousands of reputations, but only one identity. It's like, we know what we're trying to say. We know the, we know the mission that we're trying to share, but how people take it is, is really, it could be different. It could be different across the board. Um, so that got me really thinking about like, Joel, when, when people come out of a Catholic mass that you and I have worked on together and they said it was good, it's either because of one of two things, either because I did a good job or because you and your team did a good job. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So, so if they don't, or they say nothing, we don't know if we don't get feedback. And I, I, I think that that was probably, those two things were huge is, is like the, the public posture. Like how do you, how do you present yourself in public? Like in the, in the insurance industry, we call it a checkup from the neck up. Like, are we, are we put together? Are we, are we organized? And then the other piece is the, is the communication piece, which is huge. And the other side of that is the miscommunication piece. And, and finding out that I think is probably probably plagued humanity for all time <laughs> is, is miscommunication. It's like, Hey, well, the intention of what I meant to say was this, but this is really what I meant. And I think, I think pause, patience, calm is, is all really helpful in leadership. 
whether you're public or behind closed doors, either one. It's like one-on-one -on -one with, you know, with a subordinate or a colleague. It, it's the same thing. Testing for understanding. Uh, do you know? Uh, do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> and and obviously some people may be nodding yes, but then you're like, are you sure? Share back with me what you what right. you just heard. <laughs> are you sure? But but I think those a lot of that together it was was really big. And, and just being able to be, I think, graceful throughout the process. It's like when when I'm in a situation where I either have a supervisor, a superior, if you will, or somebody who's on the same level as me and they're bringing something to me to bring me discipline, needed discipline. Like, like Joel has something to work on. Joel, this isn't really working for us or, or this, the way you're doing this really should be done this way. Or you're completely out of compliance, <laughs> which, which is another piece. I can take it as an attack or I can relax, breathe, smile and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this to me. Now, how, how would you do it? Because obviously this is something I need to work on. So I think it goes both ways is that the supervisors need to be calm and patient and let their people kind of come to the table. If they feel like they're being attacked, give them some time to get their own composure. And then just have a humble, meaningful, honest, and open conversation. I, I think if, if more conversations in the marketplace were like that, in professional con uh, context, I think we'd have future toxic environments. Yeah. Or, or less, excuse me, less toxic environments. You know, the name of the, your program is Conflict Managed, right? Yeah. I, I love that. Absolutely love that. <laughs> because, well, you know what I picture, Mary, is I picture a war. You know, my, I talk about my 11-year-old invading Mexico. I, I picture a war. I'm like, I'm like, that's not a war. That's you invading Mexico. Mexico has to fight back for it to be a war. And, and, and if somebody comes at us, you know, whether they're above us or below us in the pecking order, how we respond is everything. Yeah. And that public, you know, that public posture, public communication, you know, whether, whether actually in public or behind the closed doors in that professional setting is everything. Like, how am I, how am I showing up to the situations that are the hard situations? Mm -hmm. When, when a supervisor comes to me and says, you know what, Joel? I'm starting to see some red flags. I don't know about you, but I get indigestion when I hear that phrase. In the insurance industry, that just means that it's anti-money laundering. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, looking, we're looking for those kinds of red flags. In, in other sectors, when a supervisor comes to you and saying, saying they have red flags, instead of immediately getting defensive or upset, say, you know, what are those? Where are my blind spots? You know, I had another uh, gentleman, he's the executive director of a nonprofit that I, I sit on the board of. And he brought this to me. Um, he didn't bring this to me specifically, but he spoke to our board because he's, he's like, I want to know my blind spots. This is the executive director. What a humble approach. Yeah. Tell me. I mean, you don't always have to call me out in the group, you know, but you know, tell me behind closed doors. I'm open to taking that correction. Where are my blind spots? Where can we get better as an organization? I think that's really important because we all have blind spots, right? And we know that good leadership just growing as a person is self-awareness and being self-aware to know that we have room to grow. And it's not always easy for us to see what those blind spots are. Sometimes we're working on it and sometimes we don't even know to work on it, but that exactly. self-awareness. And I think sometimes I talk to people in organizations, leaders, CEOs, and they say, everything is great. And I think, 
I really hope that for you, but I know if I go to your organization or I have talked to people in your organization, it's just not true. Instead of saying everything is great is this is the culture we're going for. This is our progress, but there are always going to be problems. And I'm looking for those holes that I can Mm -hmm. plug, that I can illuminate, that we can work on. And so this idea of remaining calm and de-escalation, whether you're the boss mm-hmm. or you're the person receiving the, the feedback, you know, feedback mm-hmm. is hard to take sometimes, it but is. it really is a gift. It it's is. A gift. Absolutely. It is. And, and, you know, in retrospect, I would, I'm going to go back over two decades right now with you. Uh, we've had thousands and thousands of experiences since you and I knew each other in school. One of my earliest experiences in education was like my second or third assignment, I want to say, in the education sector. My supervisor, again, it was the red flags, needing to get my ducks in a row. Every idiom you can think of, I heard from from this supervisor. In retrospect, I'm thankful. I'm thankful because it's like, you're right. You're right. This is an area where I need to sharpen my skills. And this other area, and this is actually coming out in a book later this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, I'm collaborating on with some other other people. Uh, but my section talks about how I learned to work with people. That it's not just about Joel, the guy coming in with the credentials or the certifications. It's about a person connecting with another human. And when humans connect with each other, they need to remember not just the professional posture, not just the communication piece, but also that we have the material and the spiritual and all of that in the mix. And it's like, you know, I need to be loving that person. And how do I do that? If I don't love the person in the mirror, and that's a whole nother conversation as well. It's like, how do I love these people? And I love them where they're at. Like, what do they need from me? Do they just need me when we're at the office? Or do they need me when we're outside the office? The beneficiaries of whatever my services happen to be. Um, and that, that was something I learned way back then. It's like, not everybody needs the same thing from you. Now, some people, like if you're a CEO, I've been a CEO and, and you're working with investors or customers or people like that. Some of them don't want a relationship with you. They don't want to break bread with you. They just want to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and, and, and being able to be balanced about that. And I think a lot of that just gets back to communication. Like, what do you need? You know, like the executive director from this nonprofit, you know, I don't know my blind spots. What do you need? Where, where could we be better? Where can I be better? I think asking those questions is important and then being honest about it and then taking that feedback and being okay with it with grace. Yes. I, <laughs> I agree so much. When I think about what a healthy work environment is, it's first and foremost, recognizing that we're a bunch of humans working together. And whatever job and whatever position, whether we're the boss or the seasonal worker, it's temporary. All of these relationships, the relationship dynamics are temporary. But what's not is that we're human persons. And that matters the most, how we treat one another. And I like that you just ended with grace because, you know, how I took criticism when I was first starting out versus how I think about it now what I think work is supposed to be, you know, when you're just Mm -hmm. figuring it out versus when you are advanced in your career. And I think also as a leader, you know, taking that into consideration, where is somebody, what -hmm. can they hear and how can I speak to not who they should be or who I want them to be, but who they are at this stage. And it's just a stage. Right. And and approaching that with grace as well. Mm -hmm. 
like, you know what? I'm in the position right now where I need to bring this information to them. I need to, number one, know who they are. What kind of a person are they? You know, what are they passionate about? And how do they connect with our organization and the public? And keep all that in the mix as we approach with the feedback. I like that term feedback more than criticism or correction. Those, those tend to have negative connotations, although it's okay for us to have negative connotations. You know, it's, it's like, um, um, what's a good term for that? Um, not grief, <laughs> but, but, but sometimes it's, it's, it's okay to feel bad about doing bad. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's okay to feel bad about not getting things correct because then that, that's, that's an emotional reaction to the situation that hopefully inspires us to get better. Yeah, I mean, it's very healthy when we think that we need to limit ourselves to only the positive emotions, we cut out so much of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And when we hurt somebody, we ought to feel bad about that or shame or whatever it might be when we have, when we have hurt or we have Mm -hmm. not done our best. And someone says, hey, you haven't done your best. It doesn't feel good, but it's still the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's important to to speak to somebody and tell them in a way, hopefully that they can hear it. Right. So we, absolutely we, in our relationships, we are all trying to figure out the communication part. As you said, it's, it's very important. Not everybody needs to communicate the way I want to be communicated with, but it's, it is a give and take in these human mm-hmm. relationships that we're involved in. Definitely. So Joel, when you think over your career, we all are, we all get in conflicts. It's very normal. Can you think of any conflicts that were difficult for you and um, what did you do about it? And can you tell us a story about a difficult conflict? Sure, absolutely. I, I going back to Bishop Aklan because I had a lot of really good experience, a lot of good stories back then. I um, had a choir director that I needed to uh, replace. And, and it was difficult because he'd been in that, that parish a lot longer than me. And he was older than me. And, and I, think, I think it's difficult when you have someone who's not just older than you, but also, for lack of a better term, has more of a senior position in the community. Like the people, the people revered this gentleman. And I liked him as well, but I, my job was to replace him. And, and that, wasn't, that wasn't comfortable for me, uh, but it was something that needed to happen. And so, like I said, in all grace, I just had to explain it. You know what? We're going in a different direction. <laughs> and it's interesting because... Because the founder of the company I was CEO at, when I got replaced, he used the same language with me. And I'm like, I've heard that language before. I was sharing that with somebody just 15 years ago. <laughs> and he's like, Joel, we're going in a different direction. And he's like, we're so appreciative of everything you did, but we're, we're doing something new now. And, and I, think, I think at the end of the day, if, if we can approach every situation, whether we're the bearer of bad tidings or we're receiving bad news in that spirit of grace, I, I think we... we we do well to do, do, do and approach things that way. Hope that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, many times when we are caught in a conflict, we end up villainizing the other person because mm-hmm. they've made our life difficult. Right. And um, we spend time ruminating about it at work, which takes us away from doing our work. Then our spouses or our friends hear about it and it can have serious health and psychological consequences mm-hmm. for right. these, these conflicts that, that we can get embroiled in if we don't deal with them. Mm-hmm. Can I share something about that? Yes, please. And, and it brings up these 
these times, whether whether I was on the receiving end or the bearer of bad tidings end, is uncomfortable. I it, it, it creates anxiety. Like I deal, lots of people deal with anxiety, but but it, it creates all kinds of grief inside of me when I have to do these types of situations. Even now, even though I know what to do, I know the tools, I know how to approach it, I still get those feelings. And I never want to discount those feelings for me or for the other party, because I want to make sure that there's equity like it's across the board, that, that, it, that it's balanced. And it's like, okay, well, I've got to do this job. I've got to fire this person. So I'm not going to feel anything, you know, and, and who cares how they take it? I have a job to do. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've been in situations with people where that's kind of how they carry themselves. And it's like, even with fellow humans, fellow brothers and sisters of the human race. <laughs> Think about that when you're going into this situation. Maybe change the narrative, the internal narrative for yourself a little bit when you're approaching people. Be a little more nurturing, if you will. Does that always work? No, not in every situation. Some, some people need a different approach. If you come in nurturing, they, they, they take advantage of that. They think that you're a weak leader. Some people, not all yeah. people, but some people flourish under that type of leadership. And so knowing your people is huge. Yeah. Huge. A big word right now, of course, in business is being empathetic, you know, being the empathetic yes. leader. Or and even tactically empathetic. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. Oh, I am new to the business world because I was in education for so many, so many yeah. years. And I just smile at all of the phrases <laughs> and the turns of right. phrases. And somebody says, it's this word. And somebody says, no, it's this word. And they attack another one onto it. Mm -hmm. um, but yep. actually, I think that's all pretty interesting because people are trying to grapple and, and find like, what do we mean by empathy? What do we mean by whatever? I think those are good conversations. And I do think that when you think about different leadership styles, it is very important to know your people and to try to modulate to equip and make your team be the best that it can be. And at the same time, sometimes we come across people who are difficult for us, or maybe this, this environment isn't a good fit for them. And, uh, you know, sometimes we see that the people who stay around the top earners are mean to the staff, mean to mm -hmm. others, uh, don't yep. seem to respect boundaries. And so I think that even if somebody doesn't want a nurture, which I think that that's, you know, people yeah, take it. That happens. Right. Okay. But this, this empathetic piece, you know, requiring mm -hmm. people first and foremost to see everybody, whether it's the secretary or the person who's earning the, the biggest wage as people first. And so in that way, we are all in the same level mm -hmm. and requiring that people show each other dignity and respect. And I think in order to do that, it does take a level of empathy. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I agree. And you know, it, that, that's really common in the education sector. You know, we go through schools all over the fruited plain. We see these things posted about respect. You know, true leaders are respectful. You know, true citizens are respectful of each other. It's, but what does respect really mean? Yeah. I, I think it really what it gets back to is, is like, what's important to you? How can I get to know you? How can I serve you, whoever you happen to be? Because everybody's different. But we're all human and we all need some level of friendliness, mm -hmm. especially in the marketplace, because mm -hmm. the marketplace devours people. And, and I think at the end of the day, when we look at it that way, where it's like, OK, well, we we want to provide a nurturing environment. We want to do it. It's going to take generations like we have to keep working on this. You think about all the things that have gotten to us where we're where we're at now, and it's generations before change happens.
And so, I mean, I'm not so idealistic to think that it's all going to happen in a year or two. That is an excellent point. And I know people who were involved in like DEI and all these other really important initiatives are very weary. And I think I've said this before, why are people not getting it? But that that long, that long game, you know, if we are in it for the long haul, it does require a certain level of thinking about, you know, human nature, what's true Mm -hmm. about people. And Mm -hmm. if we think that we're going to get to a place where people aren't selfish and, you know, I just think it is important to consider what is true and Mm -hmm. how we can help people when they have those maybe broken tendencies. How can we still require and put Mm -hmm. roadblocks and maybe regulations and incentives to do the right thing when we don't feel like doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for all of the negatives that social media has shown us, social media has the potential to be the greatest platform, if you will, because they're all different platforms, but to bring that story yeah. to the world. Um, I, I, what I believe is that most of the best things happen locally, mm-hmm. you know, like a community, this township, this village, this, they did it right. And then, and then being able to project out on social media globally, Hey, look what they're doing over here. We can do that too. Or like the professional huggers. Have you have you heard about that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's their business. <laughs> they they you know they go around giving people hugs, and and social media has kind of shown us that this is just another way. Now, obviously, in the marketplace, we have to be you know careful to what we do when it comes to touch. But Absolutely. at the end of the day, we have the conversation. We're like, you know what? Hey, look what they're doing over here. Mm-hmm. We can emulate that here of course, we got to follow compliance, we got to do this and all, all of our SOPs. Have you read the handbook lately? You know, I mean, all of these things that were that were told are mandatory, that's fine, but we can still get better. Yeah. And there are lots of examples out there of it. And I think social media is a way to kind of get that message out. It's like, you know what? Yes, you have all these things you have to follow. Yes, you have all these things that are due and to be compliant and whatnot. But we can all grow in this area of caring for our fellow humans. Absolutely. I love, and I so much agree that, you know, the local is where it's at because, you know, the human experience, while it's universal, it is incredibly particular. Mm -hmm. And in my own work, when I think about conflict resolution, I mean, there are these basic sets of skills that you can learn, but it's incredibly personal. And that's where connection is. Connection is not with the world. It is human to human, which is time intensive, but you're going to put the time in someplace. Either you're going to put it into developing a good relationship and therefore your work is going to prosper in that way, or you're going to be having to do damage control at the end. And it's going to cost more money. And it's more importantly going to damage people and society as a whole. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> so Joel, as you think about the future of work and you've got kids, you think about mm-hmm. them being in the workplace, mm-hmm. what do you hope for them? What kind of workplace do you want them to enter into so that not only are they treated with dignity and respect, but that they flourish? Is there anything that you would want to, any advice or anything that we should focus on? Mm-hmm. Well, at the outset, I kind of shared a little bit about my philosophy regarding that. And, you know, my kids, the the younger generation or for my youngest 
two generations younger. <laughs> My wife and I started having kids late. So we've actually got some gen alphas in our house and we're gen X. So there you go. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, I, I think that them knowing that number one, the people around me care about me and my success is, is first and foremost. And then the less heart-sided piece would be the cranial side, which is where can I do well for myself financially if I don't have an invention, if I don't have a marketplace innovation, if I don't have a business idea? And that's in one of those five sectors I shared earlier is education, not going away. There's always something for you to do in education. You know, I had a superintendent I worked with, superintendent of education years ago, and she said, Joel, we're never going to run out of clients. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's one way to talk about the kids. <laughs> you know, but then, but then the other piece is, you know, energy and utilities, logistics and shipping, um, healthcare. That was the one I forgot. Healthcare is huge. There's always something to do in the health and wellness side. And, and there's always something new. I mean, there's energy work now. But then, of course, you know, the military, like the military, I don't like the military. It's a multi-trillion dollar business. And people, people can get development there. They can grow up and learn leadership there. And they can take care of themselves and their families there. And so I think, I think at the end of the day, people need to have money. Money is important. Not evil. It's very important. Helps us get what we need. And then the other side of it is, is make sure you're in an environment that is nurturing. You don't have to put up with a toxic work environment, especially in the West, especially in the West. You, know, you might find yourself in a situation where you're like, you're having that conversation with yourself. How much more can I stand of this? How, how much longer can I be here? Because I see a value in this place. I'm not enjoying it with the current leadership or the current team. But is this a place where I can go a little bit longer to learn what I need to learn and then move even within the same sector? And I, I would say that that's probably the best advice I could give to young people, to my own children and anybody like in their 20s or even their 30s or 40s <laughs> that haven't really found their niche yet. And then, of course, we could get into planning, but that's, that's probably for another show as well. Because um, there's, there's things you can do to win in life. Don't, don't let anybody tell you differently. Absolutely. I agree. Joel, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you, Joel, for your time and being on Conflict Managed. What a fun conversation. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. If you're interested in little videos on how to deal with conflict at work, you can find me on TikTok, well, TikTok is still in the States, at 3P Conflict Restoration. If there's someone you would like to see interviewed on this show, please let us know. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.